Thank you, John and Josh. Appreciate your ministry and good to be with you as well. I am Pastor Dave Mitchell, as uh, I have been in the past as well. So I continue to be the same. But it's good to be with you again. Listen, we're excited for what God is going to do over this day, Sunday, but really this is sort of a pre-launch in some ways to what we want to be accomplishing in September. There's kind of a statistic that we throw around a little bit, and we've never done any verification of that statistic, but I think that there is enough evidence, at least uh, anecdotally, that uh, we have reasons to believe at least certain aspects of it. And that statistic is this, that we tend, uh, all of us, we tend to go to church maybe about twice a month. There are usually four Sundays, sometimes five Sundays in a month. So we tend to go about 50, maybe 75% of the time. I want to encourage those of us who maybe have other things. Often there are other things. We have lots of things going on in our lives. I know kids and everything. But I want to encourage us as a church, as a church family, Calvary Church, of Santa Ana, 1010 North Tustin Avenue. I want us to be encouraged on the Sundays of the month of September, if you could come and make a commitment to yourself, to the Lord. I'm going to be here every Sunday because every Sunday builds on the previous Sunday. They're all such an integral and significant part of what we want to promote as a ministry that helps us to become all the people that God wants us to be, to be able to fulfill those things God called us to do, to really go to the essence and the core and the very foundation of those things as to why we still breathe and live in life today. And it's not just to do those things that we love to do, the sports, the activities, the hobbies, the jobs, the marriage, the kids, the grandparenting, the classes, all that's good stuff. But all of them are simply part of the matrix of the core foundation of what we're going to be talking about and how that foundation of what we're going to lay in being a follower of Jesus Christ, how to be trained to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and how to help others be followers of Jesus Christ, that there's nothing more important than that in the lives that we live. So we encourage you to come and join together. And this morning as we launch this in a pre-launch sort of a way, we want to emphasize how important it is from generation to generation to pass on that truth, what God is doing in our lives. This morning we're going to Joshua 4, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time reading through the text. I want to set it up because I want to, we're going to include some other features that, to help us to drive that home. But one of the things that we learn in Joshua chapter 4 is that we are called to reveal all of God's word and work to the next generations. That's part of our calling in life. Whatever generation you happen to be part of, there's a generation that's going to come behind you and me. And we want to be all about passing that on. One of the things that challenges us, those of us who are parents in this room, and those of us who may be grandparents in this room, how do I make sure that those who are my children and maybe my grandchildren, or maybe you've got cousins, or maybe you've got uh, aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews, how to help those generations to be followers of Jesus? It's an interesting study that I read just this last week. National study on faith and religion. And they did an assessment and a study of Christian families and churches. And they came up with three reasons why the children and the grandchildren become followers of the faith in Jesus Christ that their parents or their grandparents may have had. There are three important ingredients that cause them to be true followers of Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of generations below us that we know. Uh, It may be nieces and nephews and maybe children and grandchildren who are not followers of Jesus and their parents or their aunts and uncles of you are followers. Why did they fall away? What are those essential things? Three things. Number one is this. The most important essential feature of those children and grandchildren that became followers of the faith of the Christ 
of their parents and grandparents is number one, is that their parents not just went to church on Sunday, but those kids grew up in a family where they saw the parents live the faith Monday through Saturday. That it wasn't a religious experience for an hour on Sunday, but it was truly an experiential environment where the attitudes and the behavior and the perspective and the vision and the mindset and the worldview was exhibit A every day, Monday through Saturday, in that home as those kids didn't just get it taught to them, but they actually watched it modeled around them. And none of us are perfect. We have those imperfections that show up. But generally speaking, they saw that there was a context of living conditions where the parents passed on their faith because they lived it in living color Monday through Saturday. They saw what it meant to be a follower of Jesus every day. Not just bring them to church on Sunday. That's number one. Number two that the study found is that those young people who became followers of Jesus Christ or the faith of their parents and grandparents is that number two, they had a mentor. They had another adult, another older person outside their family that was instrumental in helping to guide them, lead them, deal with the questions, deal with the doubts, deal with the struggles, deal with the failures, and help them walk that walk to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because we who are parents, we know we don't have all the answers all the time and they don't always listen to us. And that's why we love to send our kids to Hume Lake because sometimes they hear at Hume Lake stuff mom and dad have been saying, but they hear it really, literally for the first time there. Or they come to church and they're part of our life groups here and our high school ministry, our junior high ministries. And they've got these leaders of these small groups. And mom and dad don't understand me, but they go to the leader of the small group and that mentor, that discipler, that faith leader in their life listens to them and builds into them some qualities that maybe sometimes mom and dad just don't get or we sometimes get all uptight because we're too emotionally attached. And they need that other mentor person outside the family that begins to pour into that young person's life. And that study found that that is number two. That is so essential. And that's why we have so many wonderful volunteers in our student ministries and elsewhere, children's ministries, so that there is that other person who's building into the lives of the generations to come. Because it's an essential part of that faith. Those are the two reasons. The third reason is this. Why do these children grow up to follow the faith of their parents or their grandparents? Third reason is this. Because they came to Christ typically before age 17. When they come before Christ, come to Christ before age 17, there's something about that heart that receives that message, however, however little or much they may fully understand it. But there's a commitment. There is a faith that begins to grow. It's a budding faith, but it begins to be nourished and cultivated by the mentor, by the parents that model it. And they found if those three things are happening in a young person's life, by and large, they continue to walk the walk as they go through college and the young adult years and older adult years. Often we will have those little stray-off times, but they generally they come back. And we want to be a church that is helping those generations, and we want to include those ingredients so that we have generations yet to come that will become followers of Jesus. 
And Joshua chapter 4 is a perfect illustration of what God is talking about. Because Joshua chapter 4 is the big context is this. The Jewish nation, the Israeli nation, they have left the land of Egypt. They've been going, they've gone through the Red Sea, the big miracle, the part of the Red Sea. They've gone out in the big wilderness walk. And now they come to the Jordan River. Moses has died. Joshua is now the leader. They want to go into the promised land, the land that God promised to the, uh, the nation, to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant as we call it. He says, this is your land. These are the borders in Genesis 15. Go and occupy that land. So they come to the Jordan River. They can't get beyond the Jordan River. There's hundreds of thousands of people and all their livestock. They can't get beyond the Jordan River. And so God does a miracle and He parts the Jordan River. He causes dry land to appear. So these hundreds of thousands of individuals of the faith of Abraham begin to go through into the promised land. Well, Joshua chapter 4 tells some of that this way. When all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out in the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. If you go over to the nation of Israel today, you, of course, see the Jordan River, and it was impossible for them to take these hundreds of thousands of individuals and livestock across this Jordan River. So God dries it up, and this particular location where He dries it up, He says, now I want you to gather together 12 stones. They were very much like these stones. These are actual stones from Doheny Beach. We'll be sure to return them once we're done with them here. And He takes those stones out of that dry river, and here is what happens. The river dries up, and there is a, uh, about 40,000 armed men that go first. And then there are the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, that is the presence of God, that stands in the middle of that river as the rest of the people then pass through, and all the livestock that goes with them. And after everybody's finally passed through, that had to take a long, long time, because we're talking about a million-plus people. And they finally pass through. Then the priests are still standing in that dry river with the Ark of the Covenant, and God says, Now gather together twelve stones in the middle of that dry-out riverbed. And you take those stones, you carry those stones with you, and I want you to build a memorial with those stones. And they carry them to a location called Gilgal. It's eight miles away. You can barely see it on the map that is on the screen here. He says, I want everybody to see those, and I want you to create those, because the name Gilgal means circle. In fact, you go up to the northern part of Israel today, what is called the Golan Heights. It's in between uh, above the Sea of Galilee. you got Syria and Lebanon on either side. You go up there, you will find a 5,000-year-old Gilgal which is the circular stone bed that has been created by people we don't know and don't know why. But God says, I want you to take those stones, and many people believe that they built in Gilgal, that eight-mile journey with those carrying those 12 stones by the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes, and build what probably was a circular memorial. So that God said this, He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed this Jordan on dry, dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. He says, I want every time you bring your son, your daughter over to Gilgal, and they come to that circle city, and they see that circular memorial of stones, and the people, why in the world do they have a bunch of rocks laying there like that? I want you to be able to tell them the story 
of the miracle of what I did at the Jordan River. God says, you need that. Give it to the generations to come. So there are two takeaways from this passage that I always want to drive home. Number one is this. What is it that God wants us to reveal to the generations yet to come? Based upon Joshua chapter 3 and 4, that God allows impossible challenges so we'll turn to Him and help. God allows the Jordan River to be there. He didn't have to have the Jordan River. They didn't have to stand at the Jordan River. They didn't have to question, why is the Jordan River here? If God wants us to go to the Promised Land, why doesn't He make it easier for us? Why does it have to be so hard? And so God does that with us today. It's sort of a metaphorical, if you don't mind, that Jordan River that God sometimes creates hardships in our lives that makes what should be easy hard, impossible challenges that come our way so that I have no place else to go. But, you know, God, I'm going to have to trust you for this. He brings death, disease. He allows financial distress. He allows all forms of hardship that come our way, so we have to turn to Him. It's interesting. I was just talking to Kerry Trevanovich. I'm going to speak about him in just a moment. But Kerry Trevanovich just came up here. His wife just passed away, Joanna, just a couple of weeks ago. I went to her service, and it was one of the most blessed services I've been to, of a memorial service of an individual's life. And, and Kerry, just, uh, just this last week, he was just telling me that they had a head-on accident with a motorcyclist, of all things, on Santiago Canyon Road just a couple, couple days ago. He just shook him like crazy. Here's what Kerry told me just half an hour ago. He says, God somehow allowed this crazy accident that just shook us like crazy, but we're well. We weren't injured. Traumatized, to be sure, but we weren't physically injured. And he says, during these last few days, it's made me realize that it's during this period of challenge and suffering that more than most days of the past of my life, he says, I have learned what it really means now to depend on Jesus Christ. My wife has passed away. We have this horrific accident where this motorcyclist is, is not very well. And I'm now beginning to learn what it means to really trust in Jesus Christ. God doesn't like pain and suffering, but God knows that obstacles and hindrances and difficulties that are seemingly impossible for us to overcome and live the life we want to live can be those classic moments where we engage with Jesus in a way that is fresh and vital and powerful, where His life becomes even more vivid and impactful in our lives. So God permits those things, those mysteries of barriers and obstacles, so that I realize I have no place to go but Him. And Lord, we're going to wait for that opening that comes from You, because where else would I go but You? So God permits these things, and we want to pass that faith on to our younger generations. We want them to understand that we went through that. Here is the memorial to that. This is what God did for us. And we want to let you know that He is just as real for you as He has been for us when we experience this really tough, tough time. And that I believe that He will do for you what He did for us when He finally opened the way.
when it seemed like there was no way. The second thing that we see is this. How do we reveal these things? How do we help people know this? Here is the, the bad thing about this. That we tend to forget the good stuff that God has done when we go through the bad stuff. We tend to forget all the miracles of God when we go through sort of that valley, when the, when the river is there and I can't get by it and I don't know what God is up to. This is craziness. Why does it have to be so hard? This marriage, why does it have to be so painful? This job, why does my boss have to be so cruel? My paycheck, why does it have to be so small? Why do I get the event? Why are these things there and then when it finally breaks free and everything is sort of okay, then we go back to that day of saying, God... I don't want to trust you anymore. I don't need you anymore. And we forget of how good and powerful God remains for us. So I say what we learn from this is tangible memorials help us to remember the work and word of God. So I go back to the Red Sea parting, just like the Jordan Sea. Well, the Red Sea parting is told in Exodus 14. The Jews go, it's, wow, God's a powerful God. He parted the Red Sea. And then he washes over Pharaoh and all the uh, military people, and they all die and we're set free. Wow, what a powerful God. Parting the Red Sea, one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament. That's a great day. So Exodus 15, the very next day, we have a big worship service. Let's have a big church service and let's just praise God. So they praise Jesus. They, no, they don't praise Jesus, but they praise God. And they have a worship time. They, there's a wonderful experience to celebrate the power of God. But then just days later in Exodus 16, they're out there griping with God, griping with Moses, complaining that life is miserable. And so what God realized after the party of the Red Sea, because there was no memorial by the Red Sea, is that people like us, need reminders about Him for the power that we need for life. So God creates memorials because He knows how we learn. Here's a couple of statistics. How do we learn? We learn 1% through what we taste. We learn 1.5% through touch. 3.5% through smell. 11% through hearing. And 83% through what we see. That's sort of that learning process. So God says, you need tangible things. How do we remember things? Remember 10% of what we read, which is tough for students these days. 20% for what we hear, which is tough for preachers today, because you're going to forget 80% of everything that I say. So that's why sometimes we preach really a long time, because then we don't want to make that 20% as... You get us. 30% of what we see, we remember 50% of what we see and hear. We remember 70% of what we hear and tell, but we remember 90% of what we tell and demonstrate. And thus the discipleship we want to bring you into for this next month. And thus he gives to them here. Gather those stones together. Let's demonstrate the power of God. Let's create something so you will remember this. So the story of God's work continues to be passed on from generation to generation. I want you to always remember those things. And speaking of Kerry Trevanovich, at Joanna's service two or or and a half weeks ago, one of the things that really impacted me is that in the course of the service, Impromptu, Kerry gets up and speaks about his wife, his dear wife. And he gets on the platform there, and he's so articulate anyways, but he gets up and he says this about Sandswick Chapel. Standing on the platform of Sandswick Chapel, he stands up there and says it was almost 25 years ago 
that Joanna and I stood on this platform and were married. And now it here is today that I stand here at her memorial service. You know, in a way, there's all this that could tell similar stories. You go to the location, you go to the physical place where significant things in life have occurred. And there's something about that location that stirs our minds and our hearts to what God has done. There's something about the tangible, like a memorial, that begins to trigger in my mind, this is what God has done for me. We need those locations. We need those facilities. We need those tangible expressions. And that's one of the reasons why we have a desire and a hunger and a passion. And we're praying for a student center where students can come and learn and experience God through their leaders, their pastors. And then even they could come back later and say, you know, it was right there where I prayed to receive Christ and my life group leader led me in a prayer during a struggling time with my parents where they become locations that are somewhat sacred. Right now we have no place. It could be the choir room, it could be Fellowship Hall, it could be Fireside Room, it could be the patio, it could be uh, S1, it could be the uh, parking lot. But we want a place where God is visible through the facility and the tangible expression of remembering God. So I'd love to see this kind of memorial, whether this or one like this, placed there. So every time students enter and exit, they say, "What? why is that here? Because in 2014, there was a group of people at Calvary Church that believed in God for the impossible. That we could build a place where students could gather and these stones help us to remember that it was God and His people that provided for us this place. So this isn't a pitch about raising money, but it's simply a way to say that there are tangible expressions of God's remembrance that we need in our lives. That's why I close with this in Second Peter. Second Peter 1 says, For by these He has granted us precious, magnificent promises. We want those promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. There are magnificent promises we want to claim, but we will forget about them. So Peter goes on to say, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. We need sometimes those tangible expressions to stir us up by way of reminder, even as we as people become those tangible reminders of God at work. I'd like to have Doug Brown come up here. Doug is going to share. He is a tangible reminder, right? He is a living memorial, breathing a living memorial of God at work at Calvary Church. He's got a wonderful history and a great story of how God is still in the process of raising up leadership. Doug. Yeah, thank you. Like Dave said, my name is Doug Brown. I work with the high school students here. I'm the high school pastor. And this morning I get to share with you my story of how I am involved with Calvary Church. Uh, And to start you off, I want to give you an analogy which will help you understand kind of what I hope to do. Have you ever seen a tree? Hopefully you have. There's lots of them. Uh, And if you look at a large tree, right... A tree, in a way, tells a story, but when you look at it from the onset of it, it's hard to really see 
the story of the tree. It might be big, there might be lots of leaves, maybe a broken branch, but when you look at it, it's hard to know what has happened throughout the years of it being there until maybe you cut the tree in half and you take a sliver of it, right, a big giant plate of it, maybe you set it down and somebody who knows anything about trees can look at it and they can look at the rings of the tree and they can tell you what happened in the life of that tree. They look at one ring and they say, well, this maybe there was very uh, dry this year. They look at another ring and they say, it was, well, this is clearly, there was a flood here. Maybe the, then the ring out here, the, this tree was attacked by bears a lot. Whatever it may be, the rings of the tree tell a story, right? And I think sometimes for us, we come to a big church like Calvary and we see it and it's wonderful and there's so many awesome facets of what's happening here and so many great stories, but not until we, in a way, slice a piece of it off. And, well, that would be me this morning, but slice a piece of it off and really examine it. It's hard to see where we're growing, right? And what I want to do this morning is be that for you, be that sample, if you will, of what's been happening at Calvary Church for the last 30 years. Why me? Because I honestly think I'm a good test subject. I grew up here my entire life. For the last 30 years, I've been coming to Calvary twice a week, nonstop. I've been to every program. I've been to every ministry, every trip. I've lived at Hume Lake practically. I've gone on every uh, missions trip, every church barbecue, every serve day. Uh, and now I work here and I'm speaking to you and I'm here every day. I go to every meeting. I'm a, ton, a part of a ton of ministries. And so much so I go to bed at night. I close my eyes. I see Pastor Dave's face just looking back at me. I am... I live and breathe Calvary, right? Not that that doesn't mean that I'm special or anything like that. It just means that I've been here a lot and I've had a lot of opportunity for people to pour into me. And when you look at my life, I truly think it's a testimony to what God is doing through people here at Calvary. So my story, 1984 was a big year. They built the gym at the campus here. My parents came to Calvary for the first time, and I was born. I, it was a big year for Orange County, 1984. And in 1984, when I was born, I, was, I had a great time. And, uh, and then I came to Calvary shortly thereafter. I came and I went into the nursery, which is down in the basement. My father called it the baby zoo. I don't know if this is a popular name for what it was or it looked like a zoo, but that's what he called it. And I was down there. I loved it. And shortly after that, I moved up to a thing called GFC, which maybe some of you remember. It was Guys and Girls for Christ. It was before they had the fuel ministry. It was called GFC. And I remember one night we were up on the second story and we had made squirt guns out of PVC pipes and we were shooting them into the parking lot. And I thought to myself, I think church might be the coolest place in the entire world. I've never made a squirt gun so awesome as this squirt gun. I will live my life in honor of the squirt gun. And, and in GSC, and on those nights, we used to take camping trips, and we would show up on Wednesdays. And those were the first time, honestly, the first time that the idea of God, the story of Jesus, church, worship, it was the first time these things ever really started to make sense to me. And going from that, learning so much in those early years at GFC, moving on to the junior high program here at Calvary. We were in the fellowship hall back when the fellowship hall had a stage, which it did. It was crazy. And up on that stage, I have this vivid memory of someone named Scott Young. I don't know if anyone knows him, but he was the worship leader back then. And I remember him worshiping up on that stage and me sitting there with Jeff Biddle, Matt Shia, my pastors back then. And I remember for the first time, 
when I was worshiping, I remember lifting my hands in worship for the first time ever. And for me, it wasn't just, well, I'm lifting my hands, great, not, no big deal. It was a big deal for me. Because at that time, lifting my hands represented something. It meant that, okay, I'm investing. I'm really going to do this. I don't care if people look at me because I'm worshiping and I care and I love God. And it was the things that I had learned earlier on in GFC. And now I'm in the junior high group. I'm lifting my hands in worship. And I'm thinking to myself, in a way, it's working, right? I'm, I'm growing in my faith. And I'm investing. And I'm putting myself out there. And once I finished junior high, I moved on to the high school group. And in the high school group, I grew so much. My first high school pastor, his name was Jeff Biddle. I'll tell you a story. We were in this choir room, which is right over here. I showed up on a Wednesday night. And he's sitting there on a stool. And as I walk in and I'm sitting there on the steps, I'm looking at Jeff. And he's systematically telling us why he no longer believes in God. And why he's walking away from the faith. He was joking, by the way, but as we're sitting there, I had no idea. In the back of my mind, I'm like, I really hope he's joking. This is a big deal. Shouldn't Pastor Dave be here or something? Like, he can't just be telling us this stuff, right? Something's going wrong. But then also at the same time, I'm thinking, no, but what are you saying, Jeff? No, and what he was telling us was, I've done the research. I've looked into it. I've been a Christian for a long time, and I no longer believe. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. The evidences for God are not good enough anymore. And I'm sitting there going, yes, they are. But what are they? I can't even remember. And I'm having this like metaphysical meltdown in my brain of everything that I thought I knew about Christianity was being crumbled. And I'm like, I guess I'll just leave with Jeff. And, and I didn't know what I was doing. And then later on, he let on that he was joking and he was trying to prove a point to us. And I remember this as a milestone in my life, sitting there in that room and thinking, you know what? I come to church for a lot of good reasons. Fellowship, friendships, fun. But where, where's the truth in that? Where in my weekly attendance of Calvary does the truth of the Bible, the life-saving, redemptive work of Jesus Christ, where does that fit into the reason that I show up every week? Because it's really great to show up and see my friends, but unless it's true, that Jesus came and died for us and now offers us redemption through belief in him. And unless that's the reason I'm showing up, what am I doing here? Because high school is fun, but I could be doing a lot of other fun things. It's that truth that I needed to know. And it's that truth that he brought out of me that I don't know if I would have had it brought out of me any other way. I had to have the metaphysical meltdown, right? And I remember being angry with him for a long time, but now I love him. And he's done did a lot of good things for me. And I remember going forward in high school with leaders like Matt Doan and Tim Nellis, who still work here. Tim Nellis was my small group leader, and I just feel bad for him because I was a terror in high school. And I remember specifically sitting in this beat-up old school bus, which was part of some type of playground set in between the A and the B buildings, right? We crammed like 12 high school guys into this little thing. And we're talking, and he's talking to us, and it was, you know, we we're getting older. It was like around my senior year. And I remember thinking to myself, what am I doing with my life. Here's this guy, Tim Nellis, awesome young guy, does not need to be pouring himself out for us as much as he is. And every week he speaks into my life. Every week he tries to call us to a greater understanding of the faith. And I looked at people like Tim Nellis and Matt Doan, and I saw Christ in them. I saw God move through them in my life. And like Dave said, I listened and, and, and their actions that they did affected me greatly. 
So much so that when I graduated, I said, I could be a lot of things. I could go and do this. I could go and do that. But mainly, more than anything, I want to be the type of person like Tim Nellis, like Matt Doan, like Jeff Biddle, all these guys. That sent me, long story short, on a whirlwind adventure. I worked at Hume Lake for a while. I went to Austria to go to Bible study. And, and eventually, I got married, which was really great in the middle of there. That's another story. And um, I came back here. I was in a restaurant, working in a restaurant, and I thought to myself, it is so evident. All of a sudden, in one moment, it became so evident to me that what God had been doing in my life is pouring into me so that I could pour into others. And I came back here to, with my goal of being a high school pastor, and I am now a high school pastor. And I think I'm looking at what's happening in the high school ministry, and I can't believe the amount of wonderful things happening. I think about people like R.J. Sines, Kyle Bergstrom, these people who, when I first came back to the high school ministry, were students, and now they're peers alongside of me, working in high school ministry, leading students, and pouring into younger leaders. And I even think about people like Justin Metcalf, uh, Jamie Lynn Cummings, these people who work in the fuel ministry, right? They were students just a couple years ago, and we poured into them. We invested in them so much so that they said, I want to give back and invest in others, and I'm, I'm in awe of everything that's happening. I even think, even especially this Sunday, like my brother-in-law Ben said, it's his last Sunday, which is a sad thing for me because I love working with him every day. But, but an exciting thing for the kingdom of God because so much so that we've poured into him, he goes to pour into others. I even think about, like, I worked with Brent Dedman here. I, Matt Hempel was on staff here. And they go, and they go to grow the kingdom of God with their church plant. Right? It's just the most amazing thing ever that the people that we are investing in and they're investing in us are mutually then going to invest in others to grow the kingdom. And it's a wonderful thing to be a part of. And a part of my story where I'm at now and even on this Sunday morning where we're at now, my story intersects with you right now. Because for all of us, we are in an exciting time. I think in the next couple months, the things that we're going to do to invest in the next generation are bigger than we've ever done before. For 66 years, Calvary Church has had a youth ministry, youth ministries, right? We've been ministering to youth for 66 years, and only in the next couple months and in the next couple years will we start to talk about what it would look like to give students a home. And that is something to celebrate. Next week, we start a, minister, a series about discipling people, multiplying people's faiths. That is an exciting thing. But here's the thing. The, a series next week, another room, those are great. But it's what they represent that is so much more important. What they represent is an investment in the future. What they represent is a commitment to the young people of our church and to the community of Jesus and to the community of God that we will not let young people go forward without them knowing about Christ, that we will disciple them, that we will give them a home, that we will let them grow and to let them have that, like I did, metaphysical just meltdown of everything they believe where they know that they need to be driven to the truth of God, that they need to be in a community that loves them and cares about them. We are doing that. It is happening but more so than ever in the next couple months and years, do you get to be a part of it? Because here's the, the crazy thing, really, is that the future of Calvary Church and the future of Christianity is literally sitting right next to you. Maybe even right next to you in the next seat next to you. The young people that we're with, the young people that I work with, will become Calvary Church. They will become the future of Christianity. 
And I'm asking you to invest in them. Invest your time, your effort, your prayers, your thoughts, your attention, your cares. Invest in them. Because here's the thing, and I'll end with this, is that without people like Jeff Biddle, without people like Matt Doan, Tim Nellis, and even the people when I came to work here, without Melissa, without Matt Davis, without Eric Wakeling, without Brent, without all of these people, I don't think I would be here today talking to you. And I'm wondering, I bet you in your life you're that for someone. If we brought everyone up here and they shared their story, they would say, without this person, without that person, notice it. Invest in it. Invest your time, your energy, your thoughts, your prayers. Because I think it's probably the most important thing we could be doing as a church. And an exciting part is that, like, well, we got to start this. we got to do this right now. Well, it is happening right now, and I'm excited to even show you stories that happened this summer of students who are growing, who are being built up and have a passion to share, and they're being built into by God. We're going to check out a video. Watch it. Be encouraged by it. And be encouraged to invest your lives in young people. Check it out. Um, before this summer, I was like always afraid of sharing my faith and like going to other people and telling them I was a Christian or like just showing like by my actions that I was a Christian. And I think that now, after I've gone to like summer camp at Hume Lake, um, I realized that I don't really have to live with fear because I know that God is always with me. Tommy had to serve with a full heart and be one of his disciples. He called us to make disciples of all the nations, and that's what I want to do with my life from now on. I just solely want to focus on God. God has, wouldn't have given me these passions and these things that I'm good at if he didn't want me to use them. And so I'm still, I still have to like listen and still put him first in my life, but it's just been really awesome that when I've come to realize that uh, I, the way I can serve him is through things that I love because He's kind of given those things to me, and that's how I'm supposed to use them. Well, during the summer, I ha was really afraid of spreading God's word to everyone. And once I went to Mission Arizona, it really taught me that everyone needs Jesus, so I should really spread my faith and spread God's word to everyone. And at Hume Lake this year, I got to understand what it's like to just, without caring, just totally worship and it was really fun. So ever since then, I love to worship, and I'm never worried about what others will think. I really thought, like, oh, I'm, like, I'm so young. I, I can't do any for anything for God, but He showed me that He's put me in places where He wants me to be, to be a light for Him, and He's just really showed me that. Why are your lips purple? <laughs> My lips are purple because I am on a houseboat trip and we have all these little lovely colored zinc <laughs> lipstick things, so I've been applying that so I don't get sunburned on the lips. <laughs> um, I grew up at Calvary uh, ever since I was you know, in the nursery even. And have grown up going through every age group. I went through all the, the ministries, so from elementary to junior high, high school, and now college, and then even past college, you know, now coming back and helping. My first big exposure to college group was the houseboat trip my freshman year, and I felt so incredibly welcome, um, and just really 
accepted right off the bat, and I didn't feel like I had to to impress anyone or um, be someone that I wasn't. I was just able to be fully myself, and people were super loving and really reached out. And I think that our foundation family is really good at that. I think one of the biggest things for me was um, just having great leaders who invested into me and and who really. Um, just showed the love of Christ, who just embodied it, who put flesh and blood to the love of Christ um, in my life, and that through their example, they allowed me to want to go back and help. Because I was invested in, um, I just had a big heart and a big passion for returning that in some way. Um, and so I started out with a group of girls um, in seventh grade, and I'm just going to move up with them because I had a leader who did the same and um, just definitely wanted to get back to Calvary because I have felt so invested in throughout the years. Even as I went on travel to other places and came back, you know, I, I didn't fully feel home until I came back to Calvary. My hope for Calvary in the future is that people my age will, will step up and will become leaders in different areas of Calvary uh, and just We'll kind of take charge of that and then continue to invest in the lower generations and continue to just have this cycle because growing up I was so invested in and all my friends were so invested in and just to see that come full circle would be really neat of just um, having my friends and myself be leaders in the church. I hope that it just continues to be a place where people can meet Jesus. I hope. My prayer is that Calvary Church is, is that place for people. Ever bless his name. Oh, let all that lives ever bless his name. Pass on that faith in the generations to come, that they would not forget God's word, God's truth, God's power, and bless them in that. We're thankful for so many of our young people who have been part of that and growing up, and even these uh, folks behind me. Britton was just in the video. We're so thankful for her leadership. Mario and Devonie's uh, little girl, as well as Randy and Tammy's little boy, Ben, of course. And we're so thankful for all of them, for the moms and dads who have invested, and for the opportunity for us as a church to come together and invest in others. And we want you to know that we're not just here to tell you what you should be doing. But over this next month, we're going to help you be freed up to know how to do it. And that this isn't some big impossible thing. This is something that I actually can be part of what God has been doing. And these that we've just heard about, you I mean, he can use me as well? Absolutely. So that's what's coming up. And we invite you to join us this next uh, month. We'd like to go to worship and just thank God for what he has been doing in our lives. Maybe it's your faith in Jesus Christ, that you trust in him today to walk with him and that you want to proclaim that. We have the communion table, the bread and the cup. Uh, the bread represents the body of Jesus, the cup, the blood of Christ. Those are the, the work of Christ cleanses us from all sin and gives to us his righteousness. We celebrate that symbolically with these elements. If you've never received Christ, trust in him today. Receive that gift of his eternal life and come and, and worship with us. We have the buckets for giving as well. We have areas of prayer if you'd like to pray. Well, let's just come and worship before the Lord and give thanks to Him at this time.